0: See, I always make this joke way. when that happens is that we're a community in progress and we're a in on you that's the thing it's of uh, thing, when we okay. get to gather together and we pray
1: for
0: one another because so. it communicates that we don't have it all figured out we don't have all the answers and in fact we're not even supposed to that's why God has gifted us each other so that we can figure this thing out together. So that we can rally around each other and be the family. That's what we've talked about here already this morning. And for some of you, the word family is that, that's an odd thing for us to throw around in the church. But we take that very seriously here at Generations Church. So the point of like we want to make sure that this is a place where you get that warm handshake, where you get that hug, and maybe you just need an arm around the shoulders. Hey, you, you I don't have sent these to, pictures to you. You don't have to do this on your so, You don't have to the figure it out. Scripts, when a dishwasher so breaks, when system that system bill comes in, sorry. when uh, <laughs> just <laughs> the, yeah, the, the correct stuff, correct. when you get that diagnosis and you have no yeah, I- I idea know. what to do and you can reach out to people and say, Are you, are you for me? And we have people here that say, well, yes. You are not alone. Yeah, so. And guys, because in him, we have redemption, yeah. the forgiveness of sins. And verse 14 of Perfect. our text so is what we're going to look don't at. Don't go forward. And I know what you're thinking next right now. How are you going to get a 20 minute sermon off of, what, like, six words, eight words? I'll just leave it. Something like time. that. Don't worry. Um, I can fill up yeah. the time. Uh, so part of it's uh, looking but, so at today this. we're going to have a little fun to, fun to start. Part of it's this so, sermon. In this verse, you see some words, thing. and maybe you know what those words mean, that, and maybe you don't. So, we're going to look specifically at that, some but of the definitions of words, first, right. it got me thinking well, no, some of these words are pretty old, and we don't use them in everyday language. And so, it got me going back and looking at some words and some phrases that we maybe say in conversation that become these little things, but we actually don't know what the original meaning is. But here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to see if you know the original meaning. So we're going to play a game. Surprise, we're doing a little competition. You know me at all. and not, not, not surprised. So here's what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a phrase. And I want you to you can either write it down or say it out loud what that phrase, what, what the term is, like what the object is, or what that phrase means. And so here's our first word. Picture show. Got it in your head what you think the answer is? It's an old word for or phrase for movie theater. Kick up your heels. Let loose and have a good have fun. This is a good one. Pedal pushers. <laughs> breeze! I heard it! Someone said it! I heard you breeze! Yes! Uh, okay, here's a good one. Get Zazzle. Zazzle. Get drunk. Yes, uh, I, I pulled that one out. Uh, iron your shoelaces. Excuse yourself to go to the bathroom. <laughs> go iron, yeah. Uh, yes. uh, drop a dime. Uh, make a call. Because then how do you take a little dime to make, to make a call? So here's one, some of you, uh, Jump the shark. Anybody who knows Fonzie, being too ridiculous for words, it just means being crazy. Uh, here's the last one. This is, I found this one very challenging. Close, but no cigar. <laughs> Before they gave out teddy bears and cotton candy and little thick objects for carnival games, they used to pass out cigars. And so you were close but no cigar. So how, how did you do? How did you do? Um, so some I heard some right answers out there, some, some laughter that that's really good um, because I think we almost have to loosen ourselves up to, to remember and get in the right mindset. When we look at in him the word redemption, forgiveness, and sin. Today we conclude Paul's prayer at his introductory like, letter to the Colossians, and we're moving towards this mystery that was hidden for ages and generations, but has been made known to you, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Lord. And this passage doesn't leave us at Christ in you, but it says that we are in him. And so these four words and phrases that we're going to look at today to help us understand our identity and what we've been to see and what Paul is actually praying for that this church understand so that as he is about to write some words and some phrases that come after that, they will have a rootedness and a foundation to hear what's about to come. And so we're actually going to work backwards. So some of you OCD people who like to work through things in order, we're going to go through some of these words uh, backwards. So the first word we're going to start with is sin. Sin is a phrase that we toss around in church a lot, but we may not have a firm grasp on what it is. It's a Greek word, hamartia, and the only reason I throw that uh, word out there in this passage is because it helps us get to the essence of the word, which simply means to miss the goal. See this? This word wasn't used in a religious sense necessarily when this was written. It, but be because it's not really religious at all, it yeah, simply it means, means that to miss songs. the goal. And here's how I we can, can frame that up. In Proverbs 19, two, uh, the Bible uses this word sin, and it fits well within our governing idea that we have to walk and live a life worthy of God by applying his wisdom to our life. So Proverbs 19, two says, Even zeal is not good without knowledge, and the one who acts hastily sins. So Proverbs 19.2 says that we are not to make hasty decisions because you will miss your end destination. It's a failure to fulfill a goal. The question comes, well, what's the goal? If sin is failure to fulfill a goal or hit a goal or end up in a wrong destination, what is the goal? And throughout Scripture, We learn and we're taught that the essence of humanity is to love God and love our neighbor. And so, when we sin, it's a failure to love God and not love others by not treating them with the honor they deserve. And so, failing to love God and failing to love people are deeply connected in the scriptures. So much so, it's like a two-sided coin. It's one object. It's the same response, it's the same action, but there's two sides. Loving God and loving people. And so when we sin, it usually manifests itself in a failure to adequately love God or love another. To honor someone, to care for someone in such a way that it displays ultimate worthy and respect. And so, as sin is described throughout the Bible, failure the failure... To miss the goal is either unknown or it's described by people that they think they're succeeding but they're not actually hitting the mark for example when pharaoh wants to grow the economy of egypt and protect national security in his mind it's justified to enslaving to enslave the israelites and i use this example because of the connection of the coming words of forgiveness and redemption. What Pharaoh has in his mind, this is the right thing to do. But what he actually does is he fails to love the Israelite people in the way that they are worthy in describing God's image. So sin is not merely doing bad things. Ultimately, holy sin is deceiving ourselves in order to redefine bad decisions as good ones. We attempt to justify things from our own perspective. And so sin or moral failure is depicted as this wild animal that's ravaging us and wants to control us and ultimately hold us captive and consume us. And our tendency is towards self-deception or to fail morally. And it runs deep within us. We feel it in our desires and selfish urges that prompt us to act for our own benefit at the expense of others. And that's what Pharaoh does. He acts for his own benefit at the expense of another. And it leads to relational breakdown. This metaphor that most of the New Testament uses is sin as captor. It enslaves, it binds, and it restricts us from being truly free and have an ability to live in such a way that rightly honors God. And so this is not a pretty picture. It's grim. And some of you right now want to stand up and say, nope, that's not true. Because we honestly don't want it to be so. Because sometimes when people bring an awareness to our sin, it causes a visceral reaction. Hey, you did that. Or, hey, that, that actually wasn't kind. Or have you thought about how when you say that to another person, that actually makes them feel? Or have you thought about God's perspective when you do this action or have this attitude? And the natural response that we feel rising up within us is, no, no way, can't be true. And which, because of that reaction, it streams to its presence and our desire to rescue. Paul's prayers for these believers, he wants them to remember that there is freedom from this powerful power sin. But the action step that comes what we out, is that we have to admit that the sin that we see in the lives of others maybe even the evil in our world, it's also the sin that we so easily point out in the lives of others is found in here. And the beautiful thing is that God absorbed the pain and the suffering that was due to us in forgiveness? This idea of forgiveness hinges on there actually being a right and a wrong, and that's why we started with the word sin, because we got to know the goal and we got to know when we miss it, and in, in order to understand what forgiveness is. But so often in our world today, we've eliminated wrong. We try not to think about it or we try to excuse it. We simply say, ah, you be you, not a big deal. There's really no moral wrong. There's no objective truth. It's just however you perceive it, except you claim that something is morally wrong when you identify something wrong in the lives of others. so let me clarify this. Regardless of where you're at in your moral perspective, whether you're a Christian or a believer or someone who's, you're like, I don't know what in the world I stepped into this morning. <laughs> Regardless of where you're at in your moral perspective, there are actions and thoughts that you deem wrong. So you have something internally that you rely on to determine what is right and what is wrong. So regardless of where you're at on that moral perspective, what you think is right and what you think wrong is frankly irrelevant at this juncture. What's important is there's an acknowledgement that you have An ability to determine that something is black and something is white. But we've got to figure out where that line is. And the beautiful thing about the Bible and Scripture is that God gives us his design. He gives us the goal. He gives us the mark to hit so that we know the clear dividing line. And while I talk about this sin and this evil and this breakdown, at the end of the day, I think most of us will long for the world to be good. We don't want this suffering. We don't want this, we don't want this evil. We don't, we don't want this. We don't want people to get hurt. We don't want people to suffer. And we want to live in peace and see active love and justice. You have to remember that sin ruins things. And so sin, a failure to miss the mark of loving God and loving others, ruins things in two ways. For one, evil has a direct effect of hurting other people. And this direct effect must be made right by fixing whatever problem the evil has caused. For example, if a person steals from another person, they must make it right by returning whatever the item was stolen They have created injustice. Therefore, they owe something to make it right. They either owe returning the items or simply making a payment back. There is some sort of retainer. But there's also an indirect effect of this evil of stealing something from another. But because they've ruined the environment of the relationship. They've generated a lack of trust and emotional damage. It's like vandalism that they need to make right too. And so you have this emotional, relational vandalism. Combined with this simple action, this guilt, this penalty that is due. But there's another indirect effect of evil that the Bible talks about. And this is the effect of the ruined relationship with God. That we deteriorate our relationship with Him when we create emotional vandalism through evil and sin while also failing to make adequate repayment for our wrong. So this evil must be corrected in another way. Now before I get into that other way, here's that setting. Here's where it puts us at. As most of the people in our world, and maybe even you, feel that it's God's responsibility to correct this effect and rid the world of evil. Remember, the same evil that's corrupting relationships and causing damage in our world is the evil that exists inside of all of us. The same evil, again, that we see out there is in here, which means if we want God to rid the world of evil out there, he's got to do something in here. And so, to rid the world of evil, if we're following logic, God would have to destroy all of mankind. Thankfully, God had a plan to rid the world of evil without destroying humanity. And this is what makes Christianity so compelling. Because God provided a way in which He can rid the world of evil, bring justice, see good, restore relationships, forgiveness be granted. And that person is Jesus. It is Jesus who stands in our place, who takes the sin of the world, the evil that we see, and absorbs it to himself. See, the essence of forgiveness, the essence of forgiveness, is not that God just eliminates the evil or destroys it, but he actually absorbs it instead of giving it. See, the essence of forgiveness is absorbing the pain instead of giving. See, we deserve to be removed from the world, but God provides a way, and that is Jesus and that is through His cross and through His resurrection. Now, it wasn't always; it wasn't always Jesus. And in an ancient world, God had to provide a way to bring an awareness. A sin and a foreshadow of Jesus. And that's why throughout the Old Testament, you see this idea of animal sacrifice. And it's illustrating this exact point that I'm talking about. An ability to have payment and grace present. So God uses animal sacrifices throughout the Old Testament so that when we rob God of not loving him and others, that this animal will take our place. And this animal would atone for their debt. That the people, when they admitted their sin, recognized a God who was right and good. did an animal sacrifice that provided a way for them to be forgiven. It was a sinner who deserved to be removed from the world, but the animal would take their place. And as the scriptures go, it talks about how this animal's blood would eventually be sprinkled by a priest in the tabernacle, symbolizing cleansing of evil and the indirect consequences throughout the community. So the sacrifice didn't just atone or wasn't just payment for one's own sin or failure to miss the mark, but it also provided a way for the indirect consequences of evil to be purified throughout the community. It was able to make all things right between Israelites and God. You may be thinking, wait, blood sprinkling, animal sacrifice, is that really cleansing? It seems kind of messy. It seems kind of dirty and seems kind of ancient. But we got to remember that it's a symbol because the blood represents life. And the, bro- the blood that is shed, that ceases to be in that animal, is given in exchange for us. So let me say once again, the essence of forgiveness Is absorbing pain instead of giving it. Which means that if you realize what God has done for you in Jesus, that to display forgiveness to another means you have to absorb some sort of pain instead of giving it. Which means when you're tempted to lash out or blame or avoid or in your anger and in your tears, choosing means choosing not to demand repayment, but absorbing it process it and release the other from obligations required to make it right because of Jesus I think about it this way I have again, a couple kids in my household and so there's often uh, they have friends over and stuff happens and sometimes kids break the toy and they break a toy and something bad happens and the kids get frustrated or angry and one of the things we teach our kids to do is to say, hey, I'm sorry. And then the other one to say, I forgive you. But see, one of the things is that we have to be sure is in those teaching moments where kids maybe break a toy or they say, I'm sorry, is forgiveness, we can't be compelled out of them. In that moment, they're emotional, they're they're, they're upset. But at the end of the day, they're choosing the relationship and to forgo the consequences of maybe buying a new toy, of fixing it, of that kid getting, being put in timeout. And ultimately, forgiveness is the most compelling thing because of love <coughs> displayed to the relationship and they decide to act as if nothing had happened or nothing had been working. They Don't forgive, they choose to absorb the remembrance hey, something was fractured, something was broken. And in spite of that, I'm going to choose love, I'm going to choose a relationship, I'm going to choose to remember Jesus has done that for me. So this experience, when we experience forgiveness, it actually compels us to reciprocate it towards others. It doesn't always happen. So today, forgiveness doesn't happen through sacrifice or through example. temple. It happens because we're reminded that we've received it in Jesus. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice us. It's He that covered the debt for humans. And we don't owe God anything for contributing to all the evil and death in the world. But Jesus' death isn't merely forgiveness, it's also purification. It's his death that washes away the vandalism that evil has caused so that we can now live at peace with God. And the beautiful thing is about the Christian faith is that Jesus didn't just live a perfect life. He didn't just die for us, but he didn't stay dead either. He came back to life. He broke death, and he lives on to offer his life to anyone who will accept it. So because of Jesus, the early Christians stopped participating in the early rituals of animal sacrifice and started living as if Jesus was the one sacrifice for all. And that this forgiveness wasn't just for a select few, but for all. Which means that forgiveness is offered to you this morning. You don't have to stand at a relational distance from God. You don't have to stand at a relational distance from people Because of Jesus, when you put your faith and your trust in him, and you recognize what he has done for you, and you've said, yeah, that evil that I see out there, that's in here too. And you don't hold me accountable because of my faith, because Jesus took that payment on the cross. That drives us to live differently. drives us to think about people worthy of forgiveness, as well. And so forgiveness of sins is vital to redemption. Perfect. God can't have people who aren't in His presence, and so the evil people who are in His presence. So in order for us to be reunited with Him, He sends us out, Jesus. Christ to be paid to cover our debt, while also purifying us, restoring us to our truth. So redemption, Simple definition is purchasing back by the And we've already seen how forgiveness falls under that broader definition. But redemption doesn't just have a purification and a payment aspect to it. It also restores you to God. It restores something to holiness. Because relational vandalism is described as this polluting that sin does throughout the Bible. And it needs to be purified. And when we're free, By putting our faith and trust in Jesus, sin no longer owns us. And so, our value is given back. Our worth is almost given back. And ultimately, we undercut this and we cheap shot this in a couple different ways. It manifests itself in three ways. The first is guilt. There's this penalty. Something is owed. Something is owed. And oftentimes, the question we ask in our relationship. Is have I done enough? So we have that guilty feeling. Sometimes it manifests itself in shame. There's a power over us that we just can't break through through. We say, I did it again. Or just why can't I be it? Or there's this fear. Will people really find, will people others find will others find out about what's really inside? will I ever be rid of this experience and this presence? Here's the thing, that because we're redeemed, that's what Paul's praying them to remember, that we don't have to be ashamed of our past. We don't have to walk around with guilt that feels like a bowling ball in a backpack. You don't have to be fearful of what this world may throw at you through others' opinions and uncontrollable circumstances. This guilt, this shame, and this fear can be eradicated, because Jesus is the fulfillment of the penalty for our guilt, frees us from the power of the sin, so we don't have to walk around shamefully, and will one day make this earth rainy, and this presence of sin in our world will be known. So we don't have to fear. Because we have a hope of a new heavens and a new earth. So Jesus was this covering for the debt that humans owe God. To evil and death in the world, and what's great is, as I already said, that sin, that story doesn't end. there. So your story doesn't end there. And that's where we have this word in the verse. If we go back to it, it says, in him, in him. because Christ became the perfect sacrifice. We don't have to do animal sacrifice we can actually be united with Him. Jesus was lowered down into the grave and rose again. And this is why we talk almost each and every week about baptism and communion. Because Christians in baptism participate in Jesus' death and His resurrection. We're united in Him. We're symbolizing the birth of a new person. And the second Ritual that we do almost each and every week we talk about is communion, is the Lord's Supper, which allows Christians to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made on their behalf. And thanks to the atonement of Christ, thanks to Jesus, we can have our sins forgiven We can be made new. And we can begin to look at people through a different lens and say you are worthy of forgiveness. You're not the sum total of your sin. You're not the sum total of your shame. You're not the, the sum total of what you've done. You're the sum total of what Christ has done for you And you no longer have to do work, and you no longer have to do. You just simply have to believe what Christ has done for you. So Christ came to redeem sinners from the slavery of sin offering his own life. That hope is for everyone today. And we want you to step into that reality. So no, if you're thinking, God, so what do I do? You, you've given me, you me definition of sin. You've given me talk about forgiveness, absorbing the pain, and maybe there's some application right there for or being made new in redemption, or being united with Christ. That's why we we talk about communion and baptism. So so what do I do? What do I do in response to all of this? Because of what Paul's praying for this Colossian church. We want you to spell yeah. and what God has to you. We I mean, want you to surrender your love. We want you to, you want, to you. I want you to enjoy God. And baptism and this is what I'm thinking. Okay. Now we want you to pray. We um, want you to pray for those in your life who want to experience the same um, freedom, just the same, the same the power, course. the release of shame and guilt just that you have felt free. And just so pray so for them. Right in your life. If you've been so journeying good, through this series good, good yeah, just the we've been talking but about people to who don't yet follow you. At the, and that may be you I in this room. Know, what do you think if I put here's what we want you to know, that you can experience the family of God, unhindered, uh, you, I don't know. I can put it So Paul is about to go on a long solo about Jesus because of a the final implication okay. for the Colossians and leaders. If you've read ahead in the letter, you know what Paul's about to impact. The story continues. That an infinite God absorbed pain in Jesus so that you can know him. So let's not take that for granted in our everyday life. Let's surrender to him. Let's talk about him and tell others. Story. I'm sorry, I not want to What I just thought What well, the sermon in this I be. Father, I. Uh, yeah, that first part, that I want to do come you want to right now. The, the first verse. we the the so yes, yes, okay. were, okay. 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 Okay, we're because because talking first first, verse, then, first, then, so cold, before. Our gathering is about different requests. Okay, let's do it. at then we So there's a lot of hurting you right now. Okay. Thank you. Father, I just thank you that you do not leave us on our own, that you provided a way in Jesus. Father, I pray that we step into that reality each and every day. How we surrender our life, that we talk about it with others. How we learn what it looks like to enjoy. And that we passionately pray for others. To get to know God. Father, right now there are people in this room who aren't followers of you. Father, right now I just want to pray for them, not that they would surrender to my version of Christianity or do exactly what I want, Father, but that they would simply say yes. To They will get to experience what it looks like. It's a hope and a love and a joy. truly really a freedom to live without guilt or shame or fear because of Jesus. Pray that people are sorry. so. Jesus, yeah. <clears throat> we're going to turn into a time of response, and the band's going to come up. And-